to come and be here again. With everything that has gone on, I want to thank for uh, those that have have kept me in prayer. I lost my brother two weeks ago, um, and it wasn't something that we were anticipating. Obviously, it, he wasn't sick, uh, you know, that we knew of, and um, he left us December 8th. And so in the last several weeks, it's been about just putting the things that God has put before me and before us as a family and to be faithful to the kingdom and all the time when we're faithful to the kingdom, he's always faithful to ours. And I felt the covering. I felt you guys praying for me. The support was just beyond this world. I just want to know. I just want you to tell. I just want to tell you today how blessed I am to be part of this church family. Thank you for keeping us in prayer. Today is a message that I have uncovered in the last several, I've known, you know, because you know when you know truth and all of a sudden it just goes ding, 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 ding. It's just like there's a, a clicking that happens, a, a puzzle that comes together. And I have, you know, been in the Lord for 31 years. I've preached the word for 15 of those 31 years. I've always been doing something in the kingdom. I'm very kingdom oriented. I understand that leaving the kingdom of darkness, coming into the kingdom of light, I had a new king. A new master, one that loved me, that, that had a plan for me and a purpose for me. And I discovered him in ways that I know that many of my sisters and brothers around the world have not yet. And, um, and I've discovered a truth, a truth that I have seen in this congregation, beloved, with the people that I have served and the people that Glenn and I have served, uh, you know, with God's strength and sustaining power. And I believe this truth, if it is appropriated today, that means a truth that you understand and perceive, can change the way you do kingdom life. If you are a child of God here today, and you've experienced less than what the Bible tells you should be experiencing, I'm here to tell you there is a reason for it. The God that you say you follow has not forgotten you, he has not left you. He's not favored others apart from you. He doesn't look to you as less than other people. There is no measurement to him because the measurement has already been settled through his son. But there is something, beloved, that we have embraced and upheld in our lives that causes many people to live in a place of poverty spiritually. And I've had, you know, years of seeing families be destroyed under the pretext of being under truth. I've had years of seeing the next generation not follow God. I don't know about you, but my heart grieves. It aches, it longs to see the power of the word, the power of the Holy Spirit be what he needs to be to all of us. And so as we start this, as I prayed all week that God would give you grace to understand, which means that you would perceive it, not only that you would just receive the information, but something inside of you would cause you to actually walk it out. That's what implementation means, is that you follow through, not just on information. 
You and I know information doesn't give you anything. You can actually read the newspaper and get a lot of information. But I'm talking about the word that is eternal, the one that does not give, it, it doesn't come back void. This is the word of God that is alive and well. And so I am passionate about this. I have been praying, oh God, please give us grace to hear and to understand. So let's bow our heads and let us go to the kingdom on the behalf we know that we are covered by Christ so I'm going to go in Jesus as, a, as authority and all that he has done for me what he's purchased I'm going to go boldly to his throne on the behalf of you and those that are going to listen to this message in the future amen would you come with me and pray heavenly father I thank you and I praise you I love you, and as we heard today, that we give you all the honor and glory. Oh, God, you are a Savior that is mighty, that you are Lord above all. You are the cornerstone, and we thank you, God, that not only can we sing these songs, but we can actually appropriate it in our lives, God. And in doing so, Lord, we tap into a wealth, Lord, a fullness of God that many, God, don't tap into at all. So I ask today, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I ask that you would give us grace to hear and to understand, to have a revelation that would move us from point A to point B and all the way down to Z. Oh God, I pray for nothing less than pure freedom today. Deliverance in the name of Jesus. God, I come to you boldly knowing you can do this. And so I'm asking that it'll be less of me and more of you this day. In Jesus' name, I pray. Ironically, this Sunday is the last Sunday before Christmas. And it is, is called for us as Christians, it's a time for us of celebration, but of great separation. And because this time of the year as Christians, we're more separated than every other time because the world approaches Christmas differently. I saw this quote, and I just wanted to leave this with you before we started our message. But today, I saw this quote with a, uh, uh, by an author, if you want to go to the next slide, please, where it says, the world celebrates a season, but the Christian celebrates a savior. Yet, kind of know that those are two different things. So for we, we don't celebrate a season, but for those who do not know our Savior, there will be a separation with us. There will be a sense of loneliness with our families who do not know Christ, who don't understand the depths and the, the, just everything that he's given us. So we celebrate the Savior. We must not forget this, because if we don't know what the Savior has come to do, he was born, he died, he, he, he died on a cross, he rose again, and went to sit at the right hand of the Father. When we celebrate this together, there are many others who will celebrate it because it's just a season. It's just an event. But we, beloved, if we know, we will go into this Christmas season understanding is that, oh no, it is just not an event for us. We are celebrating a Savior. And thank God, because today I am not who I used to be because of that Savior. Amen? So let us discover once again, and if you want to know what all of that means, you need to come Christmas Eve. So I'm just going to give you the carrot. 
come Christmas Eve and you're going to find out and rediscover and that you will know why is it so important that we know the difference between celebration of a season and one that celebrates a Savior. And so anyway, so we, we need to understand the significance. And when we do, we will not be consumed by the wrong things on the holiday season. Amen? And that's my prayer, is that you won't be consumed by everything else that is really very temporal. It's not eternal. And so we enter in this with a great, great reflection of what Christ can do for us this year. I pray that this Christmas will be a lovely Christmas for you, a Christmas of joy and peace, no matter what you're going through, no matter what. Amen? So we have walked through in the last several weeks, well, actually just one week because of everything that's happened, a new series called Hold Fast That You May Know. It's part two. Just part two, we'll do part three next week, and we'll finish it off for the year. But we actually looked at Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1. And this man, Hugh, actually knew of all of the wealth of the Ephesus church. They lived in a part where they were very wealthy. And so he brought an analogy, a story on the riches of, uh, uh, of spiritual riches that we have in Christ. And he brings us all of these things, but he prays these things. He wanted the believers to understand what great wealth they had in Jesus. He prays that they would receive the spirit of wisdom and that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. Really, truly, without the Holy Spirit here today, that's why I'm asking God, Holy Spirit, you come and you awaken all of us because if we fall asleep, beloved, you know it's not the spirit that puts you asleep. And if we actually are fighting to understand, it's because there is a warfare going on. And so he, the enemy of your soul, doesn't want you to understand the riches that you have. So let me recap really quick, because i got to go somewhere today. And if I get too excited, anybody have a white flag? You go, Mona, slow down, because I think it might happen. I'm just going to give you a heads up. Is anybody translating? Let's pray for them. Because they'll need, they'll need a lot of anointing and power from on high today. And so this is what we, we, we saw in the first part. It says here in Ephesians 1, 17 to 19, it says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Oh, he doesn't stop there. He goes, he says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe that the, the same power that is working in us is the same power that, that rose Christ from the dead. Beloved, if we don't understand that, we actually walk around in self-effort. We walk around trying to accomplish something we can't in our own strength. So here, there's a call. It's an invitation to come and discover all that we have received in Jesus. The first three chapters of, of, of Ephesians gives us a whole lot of things about the riches of his glory. It is a wonderful chapter. If you have never read the six chapters of Ephesians, you really need to. You need to understand the depths of this, this wealth that we have in God. Now, I don't know if we shut the heat down. Did we shut the heat down? Because I'm, I'm really hot here and I haven't even started. 
I, it could be because, yeah, God is coming. No, I really think it's too hot. All right, I haven't even started and I'm hot. This should be interesting. So here we have the riches of his glory, which is God's empowerment for us through his son. In chapter one alone, just one chapter, we see these blessings. From verse three to six, it talks about the security from the father. You see, nothing can separate me from the love of God because it has been a covenant between him and the son. We also see that in chapter one, the second blessing, we have a salvation from the son. So I don't, there's nothing I can do to earn it. It's only through faith that I receive this salvation from the son. That means I am just, I am right. I will be glorified because of the son. Oh, is it because it's too low? Sorry. And then we have the last one in verse seven to to 12, where it's the sealing from the Holy Spirit. This is a deposit that was given to us to guarantee you and I, that means that we will never ever be abandoned nor forsaken. For us to believe that God has disappeared is really a faulty thinking because it's an impossibility. The day we said yes, the indwelling Jesus, the indwelling spirit came within me and wherever I go, he goes. He is there. Now, I'm about to show you the reason why we live in such a place of defeat and discouragement, maybe even tremendous unbelief today, because I think there are something that we have missed in the foundation of us saying yes to Jesus. And so we know that when we, these spiritual riches are open to us, the wealth of God's gift becomes ours. And this is the wealth of God's gift. First, we need to understand we are greatly loved. Not only that, he says, I'm chosen. I am adopted. I'm redeemed. I'm forgiven. I am right before God. Anytime I do something, I have access to provisions of, of forgiveness because of what Jesus did. I'm strengthened. It says here that I'm, uh, I have mercy. I'm alive. I'm free. all of these gifts, all of these riches come to me because of Jesus. And because I said yes, and I believed that I am new in Christ. Not only that, I'm a new citizen. I'm a fellow fellow heir. It means I have everything that Jesus was given. It is all mine. And all of that, it just seems like, how can we actually grab a hold of that thought? Everything is mine. Everything. It is the source of great encouragement when we know. You see, when we don't know our identity, we don't know what all is ours, then we will struggle believing that God will love us. We will struggle believing that we're forgiven. We will struggle to believe that we're going to be free. There are times it takes us a little while to walk it out, don't we? Because we just say, well, you know, I have God. How come I'm still struggling with this habit? Beloved, I'm about to tell you. I'm about to tell you that when we know, we can enjoy these gifts because we know and we love the giver. Every time that we start knowing and love the giver, all of all these gifts, all of these spiritual blessings become ours. Wearsby says this, all of these riches come by God's grace and for God's glory. These riches are only the beginning There is always more spiritual wealth to claim from the Lord as we 
walk with him. That's the importance of don't stay where you are. Don't go backwards. You need to continue to walk with him. When you make a mistake, get back up. Receive your forgiveness. Repent from it. Turn away from it and walk again. It has never been about our failure. It has never been about us measuring ourselves to something else. It is really purely, simply, we are loved. We are forgiven. We are warmly welcomed. We are his child. And he will do all that he can to bring us back to that place of victory and freedom. He says the Bible is, oh, he says there is always more spiritual than than we, we can claim when we walk with him. The Bible is our guidebook. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. And as we search the word of God, we discover more and more the riches we have in Christ. You see, do you see why the enemy wants you busy? Why he doesn't want you in the word, his guidebook. Why he doesn't want you to let the Holy Spirit guide you and direct your path. Because when he doesn't, you will never experience the spiritual riches that are yours in Christ. That means there is something else that you will experience. There is no need for us to live in spiritual poverty when all of God's wealth is at our disposal. So what is it? Why is it that most of us don't walk in these, in, these, in these riches? Why is it? The biggest reason for this poverty is the lack of submission and surrender. Another word we use is yielding. That we don't submit, we don't surrender to his truth, his ways. And because of it, we find ourselves actually forfeiting the riches. I, I, wait until I show you how that works. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20 says this. This comes from the word of God. It says this. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? So when you said yes to Jesus, our spirit was born again. That means now we can commune with God. We were once dead. Now we're alive. But he actually sends his spirit to indwell in us so that we can be empowered to be all that we should be and all that we have been called to do. And so he says, do you not know you're the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor, uh, honor God with your body. We don't surrender because we don't know him. And when we don't know his hope, which is that we are right before God, that we are just before God because of him, if we don't know the riches of his inheritance, that because I'm a child of God, I don't have to listen to the enemy who tells me I don't belong, who tells me that I'm not good enough. I could tell him I am sorry, but because I'm a co-heir, I am who I am because of Christ. And because of him, I could stand and say, God, show me the power that you've given me to break these bondages, this enslavement I have in my heart. I cannot believe you. I have a deep, deep stronghold of unbelief, of discouragement, of fear, of anger, of unforgiveness. And God, you told me that you can't break covenant with me. You are in me. So how do I tap into that power source? How do I walk out this riches? The commentary says this, before I go there, there's scripture that always, always got me stopping. 
And you see it in most of the, the gospel. Matthew 16, 25 says this, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. I have sought out forever. What was he thinking about when he told us this? The commentary says that our natural temptation is to save oneself. We are always forever self-preserving, beloved. We will go to our own strength, our own defaults, our own patterns to save ourselves, to save our family, to save our finances. To, we, 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 we want to not go near uh, you know, pain or discomfort. Because we don't want to be totally committed to the life of Christ. Because we believe that's something we will lose. But the scripture warns us that those who hug their lives for selfish purposes, out of fear, would never find fulfillment. Will never tap into the riches that are there, that are already approved by God for you. Those who are recklessly abandoned to their, uh, their lives to him would discover the reason for their existence and the experience, experience the life of the giving power of the Holy Spirit. Many travel this journey of faith as if Jesus were not with him, with them. You travel not understanding that he indwells within you. As a result, we are prone to walk, our, uh, walk out our path in our own self-effort. That means we try harder. We try harder. Even though that we are in Christ, we still live independent and self-sufficient. That means I have, this is what it would look like. I have the Holy Spirit in me. His ways, his heart, his truth was implanted the day that I said yes. Some of it has to be discovered as I walk out and spend time and cultivate my relationship with God. And he will show me how to walk out things. Like when I'm faced with people who are hateful towards me or judgmental, who think me less than because I'm a woman. Oh, God, when I, when I get faced with all this, I have actually two ways I could respond. I could respond by my default and make sure they know that they have no place in my life and I could put a wall against them. Or I can go to the power of the Holy Spirit and ask him, what is it that you want me to do with this individual? If you're close to God and you know the word, a lot of things will come up real quick. Forgive as I've forgiven you. Overcome evil with good. Pray for those that persecute you. Love those that hate you. And, and you're going, but God, is that a possibility? And he says, with me, all things are possible. And so when the indwelling spirit is there and I trust him, what happens is that I don't live independent of him. He's going to nudge. He's going to push. He's going to prod. He's going to do all because that's what he was sent to do. He wasn't just sent to do to just be there and do nothing. He was sent to help us walk this out. But we are self-sufficient. That means when we're faced with situations, we go to self. We are self-absorbed. That means anxiety, fear, you know, anger, frustration, irritability, lack of love, lack of forgiveness come all out. And we're wondering, God, where are you? And he says, I'm right here. But you're so independent of the life of the Holy Spirit in you, you can never tap into his riches. You don't let him do what he needs to do in your life. So many of us travel this road in our own efforts. 
So there was a quote that I read, and I want to share it with you. He says, we were never created new in Christ. That's the day we said yes to Christ, new in Christ, to be independent and self-sufficient of the life of Christ in us. God wants us dependent on him, living from his strength, which is his true freedom. He is sufficient to supply your every need. But this, isn't this what that what we struggle with? Because if we don't believe he's sufficient, then we will go to something else to supply our needs. In Ephesians 3, we see that Paul's second prayer, now he prays the first prayer, oh God, open their hearts to understand. Give them the spirit of wisdom. Then he goes on and he prays another prayer. And this is to remind us again of the riches of his glory. Because of time, I cannot go there, but I'll give you the reference. Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. This is what Paul asked. And it's wonderful because you see the Trinity. He asked of the Father, he asked the Son, and he asked the Holy Spirit. If you really check it out, he's always bringing the Trinity in his prayers. And so he says here, this is what Paul asks that the Father gives spiritual tr- strength according to the riches of his perfection, not ours, that we may be strengthened according to his glory. He goes on to say that the reason for such a request was that, that we may be mature and stable. Many of us are lacking quite a bit, and we're not mature, we're not stable, which that really means is not perfection. What it means is that I'm able to love more than I loved last year or even two months ago. And I'm able to see things in a positive way as opposed to always seeing my cup half full. I'm able to, my perspective of life is now from what it used to be, the Mona perspective, to the God perspective. And the more that I get my mind renewed by this word, the more that my perspective, how I do life, how I'm going to approach my storms, my trials, the persecution, the the troubles that I get into, and the suffering, this actually helps me understand that with the Holy Spirit, none of it is impossible. So he goes on to say that he's going to, he's praying that we would become mature and stable. See, the result of Christ's unrestricted access, this is the key. Christ, when he talks about Christ, his access, he's talking about the spirit of the living God that resides in us, the indwelling spirit. So he's asking you, what access does he have to your life? Now, if you're wondering if you have all of him, the day you said yes, you have all of the spirit. But does the spirit have all of you? Does the spirit have all of you? So the result of Christ's unrestricted access is that the Christian becomes rooted and grounded in love. It is the life that starts reflecting and finding expression uh, of Christ in them. You know, a lot of people say, you know, well, I, you, you go to that church, and I'm always afraid when people say, does this person go to your church? And I'm like, okay, will it be a good report? You see, because people, we reflect what we follow. We reflect what we surrender to. We reflect whom we're submitted to. We are to be a people who reflect the glory of the king, his love, his heart, his understanding, and yet we reflect other things. 
So in Ephesians 3.17, this is the one thing I want to focus on today. He says this, this is what got the attention. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We are strengthened in order that Christ may dwell. Now, this is not a question of salvation because he starts the letter by actually saying the saints of Ephesus. So he's not talking about unbelievers. He's talking about those who already have come to the Lord, who have the indwelling Holy Spirit. But now he's asking, does Christ dwell in your heart? What he's really saying is, does Christ feel at home in your heart? Does he have full access to every room of your house? Access implies this, submission and surrender. It's to submitting or surrendering to someone else's leading and guidance. God is asking us to surrender to the guidance and leading of the Holy Spirit. And let me remind you, this is the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead. That power, there's nothing in this world that can compare to it. Isn't it amazing that we don't give him access when we're going through troubles? Is it amazing that we don't submit to his power, his riches, his ability, his wisdom, his strength when we are faced with the impossibles? So access implies submission and surrender. Another word we use is yield. Is to give oneself up to resign to another's influence. Now, God is not asking you to resign to anybody's influence. You understand, God, the Son, the Spirit are one. We have the Spirit in us. So when we resign and we give Him access, who else are we giving access to? Jesus and God. Because they are all one. The Spirit is the one that actually walks with us until we go home. And so here we have, at this place, the influence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Do we give him access? When we're in trouble, do we even consider talking to him? Asking him, give me wisdom. Holy Spirit, give me wisdom. Oh, Holy Spirit, you've got to give me grace. I, I was going through that week of when... Two, three days after my, my, son, my brother died, and I, I, on Monday morning, all I could do was just say, oh, God, help me. Help me, because we were just going in to our greatest busyness of the year is our concert. And, I, you know, my team has worked for four months without stop, and now I know at the end I'm the one that, that matters because now I'm the one that's going to lead them. And, and you saw that when I go left, they went left, and when I go right, they go right. But I was so muddled. And I remember Monday morning, I went, oh, God, you got to give me who, that, what I needed. Enable me. Give me grace. Who do you think I was going to? I was talking to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit be my portion this time because I have nothing to give. And I remember he had given me a word. And, and I'm thinking, oh, okay, well, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be okay. I'm going to be okay for the concert. He's going to bring me through. But I'm thinking, okay, well, well I'm going to be okay to preach on Sunday. And so I find myself Wednesday going to the stores, and I'm going, <laughs> the only thing I wasn't doing was a donkey twitch. And I was just like, I, I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. The sadness, there's just inability. I have no power to change anything. He's gone. And I don't know if he's going to heaven. And I'm walking in Canadian tired. I'm going, oh, God, I, I can't. I need to go home. I said, don't let me see anybody I know. 
Because I know somebody said, are you okay? I'm done. In the middle of Canadian tires. And I see my brother Jacques, and he takes one look, but the guy has wisdom. Oh, my goodness. He went, you don't look too good. <laughs> I am not good. And he just said, you need to go home. <laughs> I'm going, he's just, you need to go home. And I did, and all I did was cry that whole day, and I got back up because, you see, God is faithful to his word. Mona, you depend on me, and I will carry you. And I'm here to testify that I got through it. Amen? And God came, and he anointed, and it empowered, and he gave me the ability to lead my team. I didn't want to quit on them. I wanted to be faithful to my charge. And God said, I'll do it through you. Just let me. I needed to depend on him. And so the word surrender, beloved, is a difficult word to swallow. Unfortunately, surrender also makes us feel that we think we're going to lose. We have a hard time giving over the reins to God because that's what surrender is, is we give over the reins to whatever situation you're going through. Because our human instinct tells us that surrendering to Jesus may not work in our favor. When we are not established and grounded in his love, when we do not know his riches, when we do not know his hope, when we believe the lies of the enemy that actually portrays God as someone who cannot be trusted, whom do you think you've got your thoughts from? So many of you have already been given a word in regards to your finances, in regards to your future, in regards to whatever you're going through. But instead of being dependent on that word and the Holy Spirit to keep you, you always justify and rationalize why you have to do more, why you have to continue, why you have to figure it out. Why? It's because your thinking has you believing what the enemy has told you, that God is not good enough or big enough to deal with your needs and therefore you need to take care of your own but the enemy of our soul portrays God as someone we cannot trust or be or that we can count on but you know what if you were a seeker of God if you would just stop long enough to say God I'm not going to move I'm going to wait I'm going to be quiet before you I'm asking you for a word God see that's what dependence is is that you go to something bigger than yourself I have opportunity every day to do it, self or him. And so I have learned over time, him causes me to experience the riches of heaven. And so here I know the Bible tells me this about God, that he is loving, that he's perfect, that he's sovereign, that he's faithful, that he's holy, he's just, he's merciful, he's forgiven, he's forgiving, I should say, he cannot do wrong, he will not lie, he cannot change, he's always, ultimately, always trustworthy, he's consistently consistent, that's my God. And I can be dependent on that, and when I can be dependent on that, that means I have to be dependent on the life of the Holy Spirit in me. And when I do, total transformation happens in my life. Oh, that we may know who resides in us. To behold, to perceive, to experience the hope, the riches, the power. We would surrender willingly, would we not? 
Would we not give him access to these areas that seem just so impossible? We would obey, we would follow through, and we would encounter, encounter all of the spiritual wealth we have from God. So God has created us and also delivered us from the penalty and slavery of sin. He has promised a life of freedom and fruitfulness. We have no reason to cower in fear over what submission to him will bring or look like. And yet, we do every day. We don't surrender to him. We give him no access to our pain, to our fears, and we wonder why we're so full of ourselves. We do we submit ourselves to our fears and our own wisdom above God's and wonder why and how could we have made so many bad mistakes or bad decisions. We surrender to our longings that we think that if only I just have the longing that I'm looking for, that we think that we will be fulfilled and satisfied once we find what we think we need to find. And it's all above God because God has already showed you what you need to do. He tells you rest and be still. I got your back. I have a plan. I have a purpose. Give me access to this loneliness and I will deliver you of it. Give me access to your fear and I will set you free. Give me access to your longing and your dreams and I will provide for you everything that you need. But that is what is the problem is that we can't give him access because that requires trust. If you want to see who you're surrendering to, you just have to look at the fruit of your life. Look at the outcome of every day. See, he has no desire to make our lives miserable. He wants us to experience his love and his protection. And because we do not know him, nor the hope that he's given us, we find ourselves bowing down to the lies of the enemy over and over again. We find ourselves staying loyal and uplifting our strength above God. It doesn't make sense when you're hearing it like this. How and why would we put our strength above God's? When last time I checked, he's the one that created heaven and earth. He's the one that created all the galaxy, the stars, the moon, the stars. Beloved, he's God. We stand on our own beliefs mostly, and we never, it's even beliefs that don't even line up to the word. So the question this morning as I finish today. Is Jesus at home in your heart? You may be saved this morning, but it doesn't mean that you have given him full access in all the rooms of your house. When we don't give him access, we literally live in poverty, spiritually. So God's not changed his mind. It's already a settled thing. All of that I've spoken, the blessings that I've spoken about, the riches of his glory, all of the things that you've just heard in Ephesians 1 and 3, they are yours. So let me finish with this analogy today. It's called the rooms, the rooms of your house. Does Jesus have access to all the rooms of your house? It's the story of two believers 
When Jesus knocked at the front door of their hearts and asked permission to enter, both of these persons gladly received him, realizing that his absence had been the reason for the emptiness they had always experienced. That's the day of our salvation. We made a decision that we needed a savior, someone bigger than us. As new believers, each was overjoyed that Jesus was in their house and that their sins were forgiven. Each had a new happiness and an assurance of going to heaven. Jesus was allowed to occupy the guest room and which was always kept clean and presentable for the visitors. And he was also allowed to reside in the spiritual room, which is where the believer went to church, to the services and to prayer and to reading the Bible. He was allowed in those rooms. But one day, soon, Jesus asked each of them for permission to make some changes in other areas of their house. So you see here, you have the cross with Jesus. So you have here salvation decision only. You have darkened rooms. Like all of these areas are not, Jesus has no access to them. And then he says, he only has, he's only a guest in your house. He's, you know, so all your social stuff and your relationship, that, that room has not been touched by God. All of your physical and health, that's not been touched by God. Your worldview and how you see the world, that's not been touched by God. Finances, your possessions, your marriage, your family, your occupation, your recreation, time management, your future planning, and all of the different things that happen in our lives. This is, unfortunately, when we have salvation with no lordship, when we have only have Jesus as guest. This is what happens. So here, each believer will adopt. Will, so he's asking them, can I come in and change things? He rearrange things, throw things that are worthless out, bring some new things. Jesus is asking for access to every room. Each believer had a different response. Remember, this is a story of two believers. Now, with the salvation only, that believer says, the believer in this house on the left was reluctant to grant Jesus' request on the grounds that he was not yet prepared for major changes. However, he would thoughtfully consider he would th- he would uh, thoughtfully consider any suggestions and might allow some minor changes that wouldn't seriously disrupt his lifestyle or future plans. Jesus informed him that he Jesus is the only one who is really capable of making the correct decisions as the above changes, since he alone knows that he that that what is needed to make our house into a suitable dwelling for God one that would be usable for eternal purposes. Jesus clearly explained his good intentions, even guaranteeing that the believer would be more than totally satisfied with the finished product. The believer replied that while the offer sounded very attractive, he considered himself to be a good judge and would be able to actually handle his own house that he didn't really like the disruption. So thank you for telling me that. I'm glad you're going to be a guest in my home, but that's as far as I can let you because I know that I can actually deal with my house much better. And so he's, he sends his appreciation to Jesus and, and, the, and the appreciation for the blessing and the presence, and that, but he desires to make just the guest room open to him. And so he wants him to be comfortable. He assures Jesus that as time went on, that maybe he will give access to the other rooms, but he's not quite sure. 
So Jesus, he says, thank you for everything. I'm so thankful for what you've done for me, but I have it from here. Then you have the next salvation. Unfortunately, this type of salvation decision only without any access, these believers will fall under the category of always learning but never walking in the power of the riches of their glories the inheritance. They will forever struggle. Now they'll be enslaved by habits, struggle by unbelief and doubt. They will be actually captivated by depression and discouragement and despair. They will end up becoming skeptics that will develop a pseudo-Christianity. That means a faulty Christianity that suits their lifestyle which will usurp his authority in their lives, choosing what they want over him, which means that they will be in a pattern of disobedience. And the bottom line is this. Jesus is not at home in your heart. He's just a guest and you're the host. And when that happens, beloved, if you want to know why you walk in a pattern of defeat, why you're consumed by oppression and suicide and depression, why these things are so part of who you are despite that you call yourself a Christian, I am telling you it has nothing to do about God not loving you. It has nothing to do about God forgetting about you. It has everything to do is that we never really trusted him with our house. We never trusted the Holy Spirit to touch every area of our lives. And therefore, we have touched all areas of our own lives. Then we go to the second one, salvation and lordship decision. Now, it says here that the believer in the house on the right was also reluctant to grant Jesus' request on the grounds that he was not yet prepared for major changes. However... He was aware that he had been bought at a price, and therefore Jesus was the rightful owner of his house. He reasoned, if Jesus owns me, how can I deny him access to every room of my house? The Lordship decision is to acknowledge that Jesus is master over your life. The believer was somewhat apprehensive as he didn't understand how this decision would impact his future. But he reasoned that since Jesus has done so much for him already, it seemed logical that he was trustworthy to continue doing the best that he could for him. So he said to Jesus, Jesus, I certainly don't know what you have planned for my life. And I, to be honest, I have some fears. But I do understand that you own me, you love me, and you care for me. And that I cannot possibly make the best decisions in my life. Therefore, I need you to help me to make those decisions that now that you want to make of me for nor what I, I don't, I know I, I need to be involved, but I want you to be lead. I want you to lead. He says, you do, I, I want to trust you that you alone are necessary to bring the changes. And I want to thank you for letting me be part of this because you are part of that bigger plan. The end of this is this. These believers are wealthy spiritually. They walk in freedom continuously, not because they are perfect and not because they don't suffer. They go through the same thing you go through, but because every house, every room in their house is open to complete access to the spirit because they trust, because it's always a confirmation of who God is. And so because they trust, they walk in a pattern of deliverance from destructive patterns. They are able to rest in God's sovereignty because they, are, they know him. And their lives reveal 
to others God's love and grace. They're always forever growing from image to image and, to, and from glory to glory. And the spiritual blessings upon their life is verily readily seen because they become mature and grow and lack nothing as they walk forward. In all that they go through, storms, trials, persecution, they come out of that whole. And the only reason is not because God has favored them, it's because they have understood salvation and lordship go together. They have understood that as soon as they let Jesus take over that room that he's on the scene and they rest in God's ability to complete the rest because when he says, what I start, I finish. So the question for you and I today is what kind of believer are you? Are you one that resides on the left where you come to church and you do those churchy things, but you have never really experienced or understood the great wealth that you have. You have not understood that he already owns the house, beloved. But we keep on having this standing with God and say, God, you know, I'm go- thank you for being there when I'm in trouble, but I got it from here. That's, that's the attitude of someone who has salvation without lordship. And unfortunately, the outcome of that is is seen readily. So which room have you given to Jesus? Which room have you not? Can you trust God with all of your rooms? Have you come to the conclusion this morning that the Lord was always a guest and you have always been playing the host? Are you ready to make him the owner of the house? See, the day that I presented my life to God, Here's what had happened to me. I understood that I am his and he is mine forever. That when he runs my house, there are times I might forget that I've already given him ownership and then he reminds me, Mona, I got this. Give me access. And the faster that I can give him access, the faster that I experience the riches of his blessings, which is peace, joy, strength, and rest. And every time, When I do this, because I do, I remind it again, you gave me your house. I own it. Give me access of this, and I will give you rest. Many of us are driven here today. Many of us are driven by fear, by uncertainty. And God is asking us, can you give me access to this room? He took my life that day. And I can give you my word that there is no better way to live your Christian life by being on the right side of the house. Access means that you trust the bigness of God. He's not asking you to trust a church. He's not asking you to trust an individual. He's asking you to trust him. And last time I checked, the season tells us that Emmanuel has come, God with us. That's the connection. That's the pattern. But because we don't let Jesus dwell in the house, the house, the rooms of our house, we find ourselves actually less than, not because God said so, but because we do not trust him. So I want you to stand. I'm going to ask Israel to come with Maya. And we're going to sing the last song that we sang today. Oh, come. 
let us adore him. Because you know, beloved, we lift up our hands, but lifting up our hands without offering our life is just lifting up our hands. When we worship and we come to God, the best worship we can do is to offer our lives to him. And the way that we do that is that we give him access to each room. Ephesians 3.20 says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us, that power that he's talking about is the Holy Spirit. And because the Holy Spirit has had no access to those areas in your life, you are persistently stuck in a cycle of defeat. I'm here to tell you, God, if he's letting you hear this, he's letting you understand this. Some of us have salvation without no lordship. In the last several years, when new people come to me, I always present the house that has to be given. Most people walk away from me because in the end of the end, we think we can do a better job. How's that been working for you? Because that's where I came to the conclusion when I was 25, I needed someone bigger. And so I gave him the ownership. There are times I have to be reminded, Mona, I own this. <gasps> okay, I give you access. It's about trust. Do you trust him? You know which side of the house you're in, left or the right. It's really up to you to decide what you want. You can surrender. We all surrender, beloved. We all surrender every day. So let me ask you, which have you been surrendering to? The thoughts that you uphold that don't, that don't come from God? The lies that you believe that don't come from God? The pain that you refuse to let go of? The history that you have that God says it's enough? I want to make you the man that you need to be? When God says, you come to me, give me access, I am going to care for those patterns. I'm going to break the habits. I'm going to set you free from your fear. I'm going to make it known to you that you can be the greatest grandmother you could ever be. That you can be the mother you need to be, the father, the husband, the, mo the wife. Oh, beloved, the spiritual wealth is all ours. It's already there. But we do not give him access. And because of it, we are left with no strength, no enablement, no transformation. You know what gets me going? Is when people say, where is God? Whoa, wait a minute. He has always been here. Let me show you why you've not experienced change in your life. This area, he's never been allowed to go into. You've never repented. You've never confessed it. You've never been able to say, God, you are God. And I'm making you Lord. That's what lordship is about. I bow the knee before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We are in a different kingdom, beloved. He is sovereign. You want to experience freedom in the year 2020? It has to start here. I will never encourage the left side of the house. Never will I encourage salvation without lordship. It doesn't work. But lordship is not loss. It's gain. I have lost nothing but the bad parts of me. 
And you can say praise God to that. Because when he touches your life, he touches it for good. Don't ever misunderstand me when I tell you he wants to see you free. So come, beloved. Choose what side, what kind of house you're going to have. You're going to let him be a guest or is he going to be the owner? Amen? You will never lose in this decision. You will gain everything. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.